Don's fans, and welcome to the round 16 edition of Don the Stat. Our run of four wins was put to an end by a more skilled and more disciplined Fremantle team over in the West last Saturday night. The second place Port Adelaide awaits us at the G this week, as does a chance to redeem ourselves and take a major scalp as 2023 builds towards the final part of the season. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and to chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Hume. Humey, how's things? Hey, Jono, look, I'm a bit flat coming down to earth after that loss to Freo. Um, luckily, we were both watching it together with the members of the Windy Hill Windsock podcast, which made it a much more bearable evening than if I had been watching on my own. So thanks to Jez for organising. And if you haven't already done so, give them a listen. Uh, they have much more irreverent take on things than we do. Um, but having different voices and ideas makes the Bombers fandom a much better space. It's, it's a show I certainly enjoy listening to each week. Yeah, likewise, mate. Uh, the, my normal Friday morning go-to, uh, or Monday morning and Friday morning go-to, twice a week. So, uh, yeah, get if you if you love your Don's fan content, then uh, yeah, you can certainly fill your boots with those guys. So, uh, yeah, it was it was lots of fun despite the result. Yeah, um, would also like to give a shout out to Peter Miles and Twelve Boot for their great Apple reviews this week. It's something we love getting. It really brightens our mood, especially you know after we've had a loss and we get to see people enjoying what we do. Um, it really puts a smile on my face, and I know it does for you as well. Yeah, and one of them in particular gave a little clip to our friends uh, Dan uh, Hoyne and, and Ping, so that it was uh, that was enjoyable as well. Yeah. Well, look, let's, you know, let's rip the Band-Aid off and it's obviously not as much fun reviewing losses as it is wins, but you have to take the good with the bad sometimes. So let's look at how our predictions went for the Fremantle game and what scope there is for improvement. So the first thing we were looking at was to break even at stoppages and contested ball. And if you look at the raw stats, that's something we were actually able to achieve. So 301 clearance and contested ball by three each. So that's fairly even across the board. Um, but it was the quality of ball from those sources that really separated the side. So Fremantle scored 53 points from clearance compared to Essendon's 13. Um, that included eight scores from center bounces for Fremantle, where we only had one score. And um, that's an area that's traditionally been an advantage for us. Did you notice anything particular about our disposal in that area compared to Fremantle's? Yeah, look, it, it started okay, didn't it? We, uh, I think we we went forward. Parrish came out of the centre and, and got his hands on it early and hit up Peter Wright, but his set shot fell short. Uh, yeah, what, what otherwise could have been. And then I think we went inside fifty from the second centre bounce as well and, and won the ball back off Frio and, and Caldwell kicked our second goal. So uh, yeah, the the game started the way that we would have liked. It, it just you know start. It really fell apart in that sort of second half of the first quarter. Uh, Kelly gave away the free kick, didn't he, for their first goal, which was just a little bit of, you know, undisciplined play. Then there was the the Phillips turnover that resulted in a goal. And then they won a centre clearance and, and went forward and, and Kelly got outmarked in a one-on-one and, and they kicked their third. So, yeah, I just think it, it was just a game where we weren't able to to win any real momentum out of the centre until, you know, maybe parts of the last quarter and, and even then, uh, anytime we did get a little bit of a run on Freo, we were able to go forward and kick a goal. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, they probably just got a little bit lower than us at times, a, a bit better organised. And, um, and yeah, otherwise, uh, yeah, we just weren't as sharp as we, we had been. And, and probably our first game without Draper too, uh, yeah, probably changed the way that our midfielders were. Or, well, or maybe to the point our, our midfielders didn't change the way they had been playing to to the change in rucks. Mm. 
The next point was to take advantage of our uncontested marking game. It's been a real hallmark of how we've been winning these past few weeks. And for the fifth game in a row, Essendon managed over 100 marks. However, Fremantle were, were plus 11 on, on Essendon's marks there for the game. And uh, across the season, Essendon have only won one game where the opposition has taken more marks than them. That was the GWS game back in round four. Uh, it was really clear that we were unable to pressure the ball carrier enough to create errors that would that would stop Fremantle from controlling the ball with uncontested marks. Yeah, we created 30 mid-zone turnovers, which for for us is, you know, up on our season average. And it was the fifth highest of the round. Granted, there are a few teams that didn't play, but nine of those came in the last quarter where we were trying to mount a bit of a comeback through caution to the wind a little bit. And I will say, I mean, this was a, a, a pretty terrible Essendon game, Essendon performance on 2023 standards, but if there's one silver lining, I think, to take from it, other than a couple of individual performances, it was the fact that even in that last quarter, we still had a crack to, to try and mount a comeback and try and win the game. And, and that that spirit and intent hasn't always been something we've associated with Essendon in recent years. So that's not a, an out, by the way. It's, it was by no means an acceptable performance. But uh, if, if we are scraping for, for a positive, I think that was one. But, you know, although we were able to have a similar number of marks to recent weeks. We really just didn't have that forward ball movement and, and momentum that we've become accustomed to. It it was we spoke about it in in the preview that you know us and Fremantle play similar style of games, albeit there's more forward intent with our ball movement and more sideways and backwards with theirs. And and it really was roles reversed. It was quite slow. We gave it back to them you know, pretty often we turned the ball over 50 times in the middle of the ground, which if not for Melbourne doing the same to Geelong last Thursday night would have been a season high from, from any team. So um, yeah, it, it was just a really timid sort of uh, performance once we got the ball in hand. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of players that really stood out that, didn't have the best disposal night. I mean, probably exemplified most by Nick Martin missing, you know, two or three kicks, particularly earlier that, you know, throughout the rest of the season, he, he's nailed. So, you know, hopefully it's just an off night. And, you know, you, you sort of hinted that it, it wasn't ex- an acceptable performance. And, and I agree. But if you compare that loss to losses from, from last year, I can think of five losses from last year off the top of my head that were much worse than what we had uh, with that Fremantle game, even if that Fremantle game is our our worst loss of the year there. Yeah, spot on. And and we'll touch on Nick Martin a little bit because, you know, we tend to dedicate three quarters of this show most weeks to, to Nick Martin. But I, I made the comment to you during the game. It, it, he made some mistakes it, it, with his disposal that are uncharacteristic. But the comment I made to you and what I really did like about his game is he kept going to get the ball in dangerous positions and he kept asking for it and demanding it and kept going again and going again. And I think that's a, a real credit to a young player who I, I would assume is also well coached and has the confidence of his coaches to know that if he makes a mistake, just, you know, get back on the horse and have another go. And, uh, uh, you know, he he didn't stop trying to take risks and, and take the game on. And, and I think that's a real credit to him. You know, it, uh, they're not always going to come off. You're not always going to have... You know, maybe unless you're Nick Dacos, um, yeah, you know, exceptional games. And I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I still really like that he kept going back for more despite, you know, making some mistakes. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it earlier with, with the absence of Draper, but the mids having to be aware of, of Frio's ruck dominance. And, you know, despite the 
you you would argue that if you you lined up all four Ruckman, you'd be ranking Darcy and, and Jackson before you got to Phillips or Brian, but Essendon ended up winning the hitouts 39 to 31. And then also the hitouts to advantage 17 to 10. I think Phillips had some really good ones. There was one that really stood out that went straight to Stringer that allowed Stringer to get out front of the contest. And, um, you know, I don't think it ended up in a goal, but, you know, he, he played a really good game there as the primary ruck. Um, and between the two ruckmen, um, Freeman only got one extra contested mark than the Essendon players did. So, um, Coming back from injury, Darcy was down on a lot of his season averages other than than marks. And I'm not sure that the Rucks had quite as much of an influence as we feared going to the game with the absence of Draper. Now, Jackson obviously kicked three goals, but that was through his work as a forward rather than, you know, as a Ruckman pushing down with, with Darcy taking most of the Ruck responsibility there for Freo. Yeah, I really think the difference here was what they were able to do at ground level and around the ground rather than what they did in the air. You're right, Phillips and and um, and Brian had some really good moments with their ruck craft, but around the ground and, and on the ground was where Freo's ruckman made a big difference, and and that's probably where where Draper gives us a real presence as well. Once once the ball does hit ground level, his follow up efforts are, you know, I think among the better of the ruckman in the competition. So you know. They combined for three intercept marks to to one from our rucks. So, you know, they got back a little bit and helped. 12 marks to six around the ground. Uh, Darcy and, and Jackson combined had 18 contested possessions between them. Our pair had just 10. And, and granted, Brian was, uh, was subbed, you know, just before three-quarter time from memory. But they basically became extra mids once the ball went to ground and, and combined for 12 ground ball gets to our four. And, and I think that was the big difference. Once, once the ball hit the ground, you know, if if Phillips or Brian were able to palm the ball straight to our mids laps, we were able to get a clearance and, and get the ball forward. But if not, then, yeah, that we, we really struggled. So, and, and then as you, as you mentioned, Jackson, you know, got forward and, and he kicked three goals. So, yeah, it was, it was less about the ruck work and, and more what they did around the ground for me that I think was the big difference. Yeah, and, and following up from that, you know, talking about the midfield, we going into the game, we thought that Essendon probably had a, a deeper midfield. You know, Freo had a really good top two and then it, we felt that it would drop away a little bit and so we could make use of the greater depth, particularly with with Parrish coming back. And um, as, as we've all said, Freo pretty much did what we wanted Essendon not to do and, and relied on a couple of midfields to do the bulk of their midfield work. And uh, Sarong had 89% attendance and Brasher 85. And, and after that, it was Fife at 52. And it, it worked for this time for them. So Sarong in particular starred 32 disposals, 10 clearances and 12 score involvements. Um, if you go to Essendon's uh, centre bounce attendances, you had Parrish with, with 81, but then Stringer with 70, Merritt at 59 and Caldwell at 52. And, uh, Probably the standouts to me in terms of what we lacked, Perkins and Hobbs, who attended 83 and 43% respectively the previous game, only attended 11 and 26% uh, respectively this game. And I, I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. I think particularly in terms of a defensive role, uh, Perkins at the moment is probably the best that we have with set a field out and, and he could have played a role there. Although matching up on, on Sarong is a lot different to matching up on a Patrick Cripps. I think Perkins body style and, and running ability matches up better on a Crips than it does a Sarong, but that's something I think they possibly could have tried earlier to maybe limit his effectiveness. Yeah, well, I think the other thing too, mate, is we just didn't make them work hard enough defensively because we didn't win enough ball and, and didn't take enough territory. So, you know, wh- what would Sarong at 89% and Brasher at 85% last quarters would have looked, what would they have looked like if they had been running up and down the ground all night 
you, you know, because we were we were getting the ball inside fifty on a more regular basis. So we kind of made their their life a whole lot easier, and and it, it, to an extent made um, our our midfield rotations or or the depth thereof a little bit redundant because we just really didn't ask a lot of their midfield to to do too much other than win the ball and, and take it forward. And, and they did that a lot better than we did. Yeah. And finally, we wanted to pay close attention to Hayden Young, who's been the big uh, driver of their their ball use from, from the back half this year. And he was nullified somewhat. He, he only had 17 disposals, which was his lowest since round five and 340 metres gained. And that was his lowest since round four. Um, so we did good work there, but that also meant that other players were able to uh, take on more responsibility and, and, and cause us issues there. Yeah, I think what we gained there was lost in the game that Luke Ryan was allowed to play. He had 18 marks and 31 disposals, which given how few times we went inside 50 is is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, our, our half forwards got caught a lot in no man's land, I thought, both between defensive and offensive transition. So they, they didn't do a lot in, in prov- locking the ball in and preventing Fremantle from coming out. They didn't press up a lot and and put them under press, pressure when, when we did get a little bit of slow ball movement. But then also they got bypassed. And, and I'm talking of... You know, predominantly for me, it was Snelling and, and Guelphie for the most part. And and without Menzi there, it, it felt like we made it a lot harder on ourselves. Uh, but we, and I think that's just, it's not a a criticism of their work rate or effort by a long stretch because that's, that's the collective strength of those two players. I just think sometimes they lack a little bit of the the natural forward now to, to know where to position themselves and and. Get involved in in also in offensive transition, so they got bypassed a lot, and it just made Frio it made it really easy for Frio to manipulate their matchups to get Luke Ryan and Brennan Cox free was the other one. So you know Luke Ryan took five intercept marks, Cox had ten spoils. You know he he just double teamed on Peter Wright. Uh, you know every time we went inside fifty, and um, and you know not helped by our speed of ball movement either or, or lack thereof, and also. You know, Wiedemann and Langford had pretty quiet games too, as did Peter Wright himself. So it was kind of just a little bit of a recipe for disaster, I think, in in all facets of our game that that made it easy for those guys to to just dominate back there. Yeah, I think that that what you discussed there really leads into the next thing I wanted to talk about was about our forward entries. Uh, you know, the, the common consensus around the people around us on the night was regarding, you know, the, the long bombs to, to Peter Wright seem to be the go-to uh, decision. But, you know, with all that you've said there in terms of how the, the forward line was was working together with, with those half forwards and then, you know, as you said, Langford and Wiedemann, we were almost left with little option but to kick long and, and hope in a sense there. And I guess just just generally across, uh, across the last part of the season, you know, it's, we've often been behind in inside 50s. So since the Melbourne game, we've only had more inside 50s than our opposition um, against the Kangaroos. So it, it's an area that we've really struggled with in terms of generating not only inside 50s in, in general, but also quality inside 50s. Yeah, long bombs inside 50 are fine, right? It, you, you don't want to be doing it all the time, but it, it you know when you've got a forward like Peter Wright, you, you want to be getting long balls into him on a semi-regular basis. What we didn't have, though, was ground ball pressure and, and ground ball wins and, and without Menzi there and, and relying on 
you know, Snelling, who's not particularly good at it. He's, he's good at pressuring and he's good at tackling, but winning ground ball, he's not great at. And he's, he's quite slow when he does get it to, to use it. And, and it's not, you know, Guelphie's, Guelphie's strengths seems to be, you know, working into some space and getting the ball that way rather than genuine sort of crumb goals. So without Menzi, without Davey, without Waller, uh, you know, those long bombs were, were fraught with danger because we just didn't have pressure once the ball came to ground. But Overall, mate, I think it's a contested ball problem as much as it is an inside 50 problem. Up to that Melbourne game, we'd won contested ball four out of the five games. And and we the one that we lost was to St Kilda by just three. So, you know, our contested ball game had been really, really strong. But since then, we've won contested ball just once in nine games. And that was against West Coast where, you know, I think you and I could have won our fair share of contested ball. Um, and... And that's not just contested ball at clearance, which I think is instinctively what what most of us think about, you know, winning the contest at a a centre bounce or a ball up or a throw in, but it's contested ball around the ground. In the first five weeks, we were really strong at winning one-on-ones and getting numbers to the next contest. So, you know, stoppage, clear it, get to the next contest, outnumber, win it again, move it forward. It's those down-the-line contests, those those follow-up contests in our forward line at ground level that we're not winning anywhere near enough of. And... uh, our, I think our ball movement style lends itself to being a, a ra- relatively low inside 50 team, but I think that's compounded further by our lack of ability to win contests at ground level and, and therefore take territory and get the ball inside 50 on a more regular basis. Uh, Tarsi Parrish is second in the AFL for average contested possessions. And, you know, good news, by the way, with him on Channel 9 tonight, sort of, you know, giving every indication that he's going to stay, which is, which is great. Um, but... We don't have anyone else in the top 50 in the AFL. Zach Merritt's 59th, Jake Stringer 72nd, Dylan Shield 81st, Sam Draper 105th. So, you know, Darcy really needs some help at, and perhaps it's going to take some time for, you know, the likes of Caldwell and, and Hobbs to to really improve and, and be more consistent in games. But, yeah, I think for the moment we need to address our, our contested ball problem, not just at stoppages and, and centre bounces, but around the ground it, we were really really good at it in the first five weeks and uh, and not so good at it since so i think fix that and we fix our inside 50 ball uh f- inside 50 problem by default yeah well as you say hopefully we can start to see improvements in that area over the remainder of the season although we've got some big challenges up against some pretty good contested ball winning sides coming up got a few new news items to talk about tonight uh Last night, Lee Montagna on AFL 360 uh, made a point of highlighting Nick Martin's defensive efforts, as we sort of indicated we discussed earlier on in the show, uh, particularly what happened last week against Frio and then also looking back against Port Adelaide. So they really highlighted how often he's coming off his man to get involved in the play, uh, whereas his opponent winger is is keeping his their width and, and allowing then when the opposition has got the ball back, they're able to use that that width and the, the space that Martin's given him to create inside 50s. And they've sort of suggested that's one of the big reasons why we're, we're poor at defending, you know, defensive 50 transition. Um, something you've talked about since he came into the side last year, his, his defensive running. Uh, what are your thoughts currently? Do, do you think the club has given him a license to get involved in the play at the expense of playing defensively? Or do you think he needs to tighten up in that area, even if it possibly means he loses some of his offensive capability? Yeah. uh, First thing here in lies my issue with AFL media, and that is they, they find a single data point 
And if you look hard enough, including Port Adelaide and Collingwood, you can find a data point where they're where they're struggling. And you know, we're a team that finished in the bottom four last year, and and uh, you know, are, are working really hard with a you know relatively young list to to try and improve our game. So we've got lots of data points we're not um, excelling at. But what they do do is then take that data point and find clips to then prove their point and. It, it completely lacks in any balance or real analysis, and and it's a real letdown. I think that the AFL community and and AFL footy fans deserve a lot better than than what they're getting out of AFL media at the moment. Uh, the flip side to that is, mate, we've used that as a, an opportunity and a platform to create a podcast and um and build an audience. So, you know, hopefully to some extent, without sounding like we're we're blowing ourselves up here, that that it's enabled us to to help fill that void. But yeah, we talked about it a couple of times last year and, and I must say it wasn't Nick Martin. Uh, there was a few of them. Um, you know, Durham wasn't always good at it. Uh, um, Perkins hasn't always been good at it. And Nick Martin was one as well, as long along with a few others, but it's just that instinct to go from offense to defense, that, that immediacy of going, we've got the ball to now we don't have the ball and I've got to get on my bike and go back to defend I don't think that's been a problem for Nick Martin this season. It was a few times last year, and and there's probably been one or two mo- moments throughout 2023 where it wasn't great either. But it really was until that Fremantle game, and let's be honest, he wasn't alone. Um, where you know where it fell away a little bit, but he set such a high standard for himself this season that a game where he was still one of our better performers was considered a down game. I think he still had, you know, 24 disposals and kicked a goal. Uh, you know, he, he just got outworked and, and outplayed by, by his opponent who played in a team that outworked and outplayed us all around the ground. So I don't think he needs to change much, mate. I think he's been doing a really, you know, a fabulous job this year at, at getting back into defensive transition and, and tracking his opponent back. And, they, they being Lee Montagna, has applied team statistics and team metrics to an individual, which I think is grossly unfair. He's third at the club for pressure acts and defensive half pressure acts. He's sixth for intercepts. And he's actually the 10th ranked midfielder in the AFL for intercepts and the third equal ranked midfielder for rebound 50s. So any suggestion that Nick Martin doesn't get back and and help with defense and just lets his opponent go is a fallacy. And if they bothered to dig a little bit deeper and actually watch, uh, watch games in totality rather than look for moments to try and embarrass individual players, I think they would spot that. The flip side too... He's equal. He's an equal second-ranked midfielder in the AFL for goal assists, and he's the seventh-ranked midfielder for goals. And that includes, you know, the top two ranked midfielders for goals are Shy Bolton and Zach Bailey, who, you know, spend a, a fair portion of their playing time as a forward. So, you know, it skews it a little bit. So, uh, you know, he's a gun. Uh, he he's an exceptional footballer. He's dangerous when he's got the ball in his hand, and teams are going to try and, and hurt and expose him the other way. Uh, you know, it's the it's the Nick Dacos theory, isn't it? But I'm, I'm, you know, they, uh, do you, do you try and stop him or do you try and play through him and, and Fremantle or, or play through his opponent? And, and on Saturday night, Fremantle tried to play through his opponent and the rest of our team weren't 
great either at, at helping Nick out there. So I'm happy to back in our guy, mate. He was a little bit down last week, not as sharp defensively as the improvement he's shown this year, but he's going to have much better games than that. And, you know, I expect that'll start on Saturday night at the G. Yeah, well, so I'm not sure I can add much to that. I think, you know, I think it seems like you've been wanting to get something off your chest there about <laughs> about the media there. And I, I tend to agree, you know, and, you know, I, to be to be fair to the, the media, they have got to cover nine games a week and, you know, we get to focus on on one side. Uh, we don't even have to focus on, you know, the whole game. We're focusing on Essendon. So I, I do get the sense that they've got to try and get something out there and, and produce things. But you're right. It, it's hard to read too much into it when, yeah, as you say, they're, they're spending five minutes and they're trying to often justify a belief that they have and they sort of go against your um, your principle, which is, is trust your eye and then look for things to back that up rather than going in with a preconceived idea and then finding things that support that, that preconceived idea, even if it doesn't reflect the rest of their play. Yeah, and that's fair too, mate. And and I've I've said that a number of my times myself. I, I think the challenge here is is that you, they've taken a, a young player who is a season and a half into his career, who's had a, a couple of poor moments in uh, which have been very few and far between in his career, and amplified them without adding any balance the other way. And and you're right, it's it's hard to to be able to go into depth and detail on on eighteen teams week in, week out, and I don't expect that. But I, I, I would like that if they're going to to drill down on something, provide provide some real balance. And I think there is some real balance to how Nick Martin's gone about his football this year. Mm. Well, look, another piece of news that, that came out today, well, I guess it's there's nothing new to the suggestions that Essendon would be interested in bringing in Ben Mackay as a free agent, but there was a big double page spread in the hunt today. And it sort of lines up with the question that bad motivator asked us uh, when we requested mid season uh, questions about uh, who we look at bringing in over the off season. And uh, do you think if the decision was made to try to require him, that would be the right direction for this side? Yeah. I'll, Try not to beat up on AFL media again here, but it, it wasn't a great article, was it? There wasn't a whole lot of substance to it. There was a fair bit of, um, uh, you know, friend of the show, Jamie, pointed out that it, it read like a, a big footy thread rather than, a you know, a, a, a genuine AFL um, media article. But, uh, you know, th- what I'm about to say is predicated on us retaining Parrish and, and Redmond, right? But if we're able to do that, then... I like it. He turns 26 in December, so he's still, you know, he still has a lot of footy ahead of him. And you know, as a as a 200 plus centimeter key position player, he's arguably not going to reach his real peak for probably another two or three years. When you'd anticipate we're, you know, really ready to compete consistently with the top sides. I also think we're a little bit light on in that age bracket as well, and and in that sort of twenty six to to twenty seven year old, we don't have a lot of players, uh, and even some of the ones that we do have probably have a couple of question marks on them, and and we're we're likely to to probably get younger again next year because you look at some of the the older guys on their list on our list, the likes of Heppel and um, you know James Stewart, we haven't seen for a long time, and and um, uh, even you know Nick Hines been in and out of the side. I think he's twenty eight or twenty nine. So we could see some drop off at that that older age bracket. So uh, you know I, I think it fits that. It, it fills a, sh- a, a short term need definitely. You know we, we've seen that throughout the year. Those big key forwards, and we've got another one in Charlie Dixon this week getting the better of us. 
and it allows a player like Reed to really Zach Reed to really take his time and develop. And and when he does come into the team, ultimately play as a second tall defender for a period of time rather than needing to come in and play on those big monsters. I get the concern about his body, and I I have a, a bit of that concern too, but. I think we're starting to see some continuity in his footy. He played 22 games in in 2021 after only playing 15 in his first three seasons, uh, and then he played 15 in 2022. So he still missed a little bit of footy, but he it, you know he did play a good chunk of it, and he missed the start of this year. But since he's come in, he's played 10 games in a row. So he, he might be moving past that and and getting some continuity in his football and 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 getting some confidence in his body. So you know I, I think. From the the two that have floated him and Himmelberg, I I think you know Himmelberg's 195 centimeters and a similar size to Zerk Thatcher probably doesn't help us as much as someone like Ben McKay could if he if we are able to get him across in and he stays fit and stays on the park. Yeah, and just want to add something to what you pointed out there. You mentioned the amount of games that McKay played across his first you know few seasons there, and we've got a few people in the in the Essendon fan community writing off. Zach Reeds and Nick Cox because they're they're not playing every game in, in their first three seasons. And I think it it's time to just relax and and, and let them grow into their bodies and, and and work out, you know, what kind of AFL players are going to be before we start, you know, saying that we've failed, we've failed the draft or anything like that. I think it's just time to have a bit of a relax. I know we're all impatient for success and, and we want our our top draft picks to to all become stars, but I think we just have to have some patience with them and, and give them the, the time and the space they need to develop in the football as they're going to be. Yeah, agree. Uh, and just quickly, finally, you know, you mentioned that we, he missed last week, the first game missed for the season, but it came out this week that Sam Draper is going to take a few weeks more before he's over his hip issue. At, at the very least, he won't play against Port Adelaide or Adelaide. And, you know, obviously as, as a fan, it's a shame from the entertainment perspective because he's really fun to watch. Um, but also in terms of how the team performs, he makes the team better being being out there. You know, he's not a high, you know, statistics guy, but just some of his intangibles and, and just his presence really creates a lot of opportunity for us. Um, and obviously been playing through the condition for a while leading up to the buy and most players are carrying something throughout the year. And I guess it's obviously just got too much for him to deal with. And hopefully we see him for the Geelong game or, you know, within a couple of weeks of that. Yeah, it, it's obviously a blow. He's only just hit 50 games himself. So he's someone that we, you know, for the, the development of our, our whole entire list, we want to have him playing games because, um, you know, the sooner, you know, it, we shared some data, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago that that Ruckman's sort of come into their prime at that 90 to 100 game stage. So, you know, he's still a couple of years away from that and, and we want to get those games into him. But it's been the Brad Scott philosophy since he came, you know, don't sacrifice the future for the now. And, and I, I suspect that, you know, if we were in the top four and um, and it was the the qualifying final next week that Draper, you know, would probably play. But I think they're going to, it sounds like they're going to rest him up and get him right and, and come back when he's 100%. It's also an, an opportunity for us to find another way, right? Like Collingwood lost Darcy Cameron and um, and their other ruck options earlier in this year and, and just found a way to to grind games out and and get a, a you know a, have a look at other guys through there, including on on Anzac Day, uh, Mason Cox was out at the same time. Um, so you know they they found a way. Port Adelaide have had ruck issues themselves with Scott Lysett out for extended periods the last couple of years and and threw Finlayson in there who, um, you know, 
became a really impactful player for them in there. So, you know, I think it's just an opportunity for us to, you know, had a little bit of a look for at Nick Bryan last week and, uh, and you know, he's still got a long way to go in his development. Uh, Phillips, I thought, was better. And it might even be the little bit of a making of someone like Wiedemann to, in a similar vein to what happened with Finlayson, that the ruck forces you to compete. You, you know, being a forward, sometimes you can get caught and, and a little bit lost, um, particularly when you've got someone like Peter Wright demanding the footy the way that he does. So, yeah, it might actually be good for someone like Sam Wiedemann to now take some responsibility in the ruck when he gets his opportunity and and, and really compete and, and simplify the game for him. Yeah, and look, who knows? Even We may even see Nick Cox there and you, you get your one of your wishes come true. Yeah, no one can see that, but I just crossed my fingers. So, yeah, he's hoping. Maybe, maybe the back half of the last few games there we might see that well look let's let's turn our attentions to Port Adelaide and it's our first double up match of the season so um we'll change the order up a little bit so before we look at how they're going in general let's reflect on the last match uh back in round eight so then Port Adelaide 12 20 92 defeated Essendon 13 9 87 and it was a match that Essendon led 75 percent of it but eventually the weight of Port Adelaide's territorial dominance um made up for their inaccurate kicking and they, they got the lead there in at the fourth quarter and, and held on to it it was a, a match where Port Adelaide won contested marks 22 to 7 and inside 50 65 to 47 and it really reflected the difficulty Essendon had in preventing repeat inside 50s, particularly uh, when Jordan Ridley went down in the second quarter, that really had a clear impact on Essendon's structure and the way that they were unable to repel attacks and, and generate their own inside 50s there. Um, if you look at just the, the basic stats, uh, Wiedemann, Stringer, Langford and Perkins each kicked two uh, for Essendon, whilst Rioli, Dixon and, and Darcy Byrne-Jones did the same for Port. Uh, Parrish, Parrish with 37 and, and Merritt with 28 led the disposal getters for Essendon, but across the top 13 disposal getters, Port Adelaide had 10. So it was a really, you know, other than on the scoreboard, you know, statistically it was, it was a dominant performance by Port there. Yeah, that first quarter was some of the smartest football I've seen Essendon play in a long while. We kicked six goals to three in in that first quarter. And and Langford in particular did a really good job, didn't he, at drawing a leer out of some dangerous areas and being a target himself. But as you said, we just couldn't get territory in that later part of the game. And uh, yeah, some really dicey moments. It'll be interesting to see what we've what we took out of that game and, and how we treat those moments this week it, it, and, and if we do anything different. I, I suspect that we that we will. Uh, we're going to need to. But, um, yeah, Brad Scott has proven to be really conscious of the opposition and how they go about things and, and adapting our gameplay to it. So, uh, yeah, I think that'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, you mentioned Port's goal-kicking inaccuracy. That wasn't a one-off, by the way. They they average the most behinds in the AFL and, and are only just converting better at 50% across the season. They're a bit of a quantity over quality team when it comes on, comes to shot on goals. They're happy to back themselves in to just take lots of shots and, and kick a winning score and, and you know, lock the ball in their forward half if they do kick it behind. So, um, yeah, that, that game certainly wasn't a one-off in that regard. Yeah, and I guess just projecting forward since that game, it's, it's been nothing but positives for Port Adelaide. They've won all six of the games that they've played since then. So those have come against the Kangaroos, Melbourne, Richmond, Hawthorne, the Bulldogs and Geelong. Uh, the Melbourne game was the closest. Uh, Port came from behind to win by four points. Um, they sit second on the ladder with 12 wins and two losses, and they're only behind Collingwood on percentage. Um, 
So we we dug into how their their stats have changed since we played them, and across most metrics, they've they've actually improved their play since we last played. So pretty scary there. Um, they're scoring twenty points per game more, um, whilst their scores against have gone down by a goal, and they're generating seven more inside fifties and, and conceding six less. Uh, you know, if you look at their centre clearance differential, um, it was something that was in the negatives in the first eight rounds. It's it's now become a positive. They're, they're plus two across the last six rounds at centre clearance. Um, whilst they've also reduced their stoppage clearance uh, differential from minus 2.5 to minus 1.5. Um, again, this is reflected in their contested possession differential going from a negative to a positive across this time. So they've gotten better in the competitive aspects of of football. Um and you know, you mentioned their um inability to to, to convert prop uh convert scoring opportunities to goals, but just in general through their, their forward work, they're taking one point eight marks per game more across the last six rounds than, than the first eight. Um they're tackling uh, almost four more times inside their fifty. Um one area that they've dropped away is that they are allowing more marks from their opponents inside 50 um that's up 1.3 so that's that's really the only metric that that i could see where you know they've dropped off a little bit but other than that you know if you look at something like turnovers which is a really key ingredient for a successful side um they're generating five more turnovers per game and they're not giving the ball up any more than they were so the differential has increased significantly there yeah and if you just put stats and analysis aside for the moment, you know, how good are they to watch from a pure football fan's perspective? They're playing some really exciting footy. They've got young stars in in pretty much all thirds of the ground. And um, one player that's been a big part of that forward work that, that you mentioned is Todd Marshall. In his last three games, he's kicked five, two, and three. And it's coincided in a period where Lysette's come back into the side. And that's meant that Finlayson's been able to play more time, more of his game time as a forward. And then the last two weeks, Dixon's been back in the team together, which means Marshall's got that third defender. So it's a, a really challenging, uh, you know, forward trio for for teams to match up um, and, you know, going to be a big challenge for us this week. Yeah. And, and you mentioned young stars and the midfield's probably where the, the biggest standouts are. And, you know, if you look at the six games since uh, Port Adelaide have played since we our last meeting, uh, Zach Butters has earned 45 out of 60 coaches votes during that time. And, and he's now uh, leading the competition in, in that award. And in the same time, Connor Rosie's had, had 27. So, you know, when, when someone's taking 45 of the votes, there's not that many left. And so Rosie's got a fair chunk of, of the remainder there. And if you add in uh, Jason Horn Francis, and then also Ollie Wines has been improving as the season's gone on. It's a really formidable midfield that Essendon will face. And it, it's a game that's going to be at the MCG. And the last time Essendon played Port Adelaide at the MCG was 1998. And um, Port did win their last game at the MCG, which was against Richmond by 10 points. But prior to that, they'd lost their last four uh, since 2022. I actually think it's a good thing we're playing them at the MCG. I feel like they play Marvel pretty well. And they've touched us up a few times uh, at Marvel over the past couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see how they go at the MCG. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, mate, because we've um, we've talked a little bit about how poor, well, a fair bit about how poor we were against Fremantle and then how amazing Port Adelaide are. So people might have started switching off already. But yeah, I I think that the MCG does suit us in, in this game. It's a, it's a place that they're not as familiar with um, in terms of coming to Melbourne. And that Richmond game, Port did get off to a good start. It was five goals to one at quarter time, but it was eight goals to five in Richmond's favour 
after that. So, you know, I think it does suit us. And I think the Collingwood got them by 70 points or something earlier in the year at the G as well. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not quite at Collingwood's level yet, but yeah, let, let's hope that, that that does play into our advantage. And and I think we've we've proven ourselves to be able to to get up in front of big crowds and, and our young group seems to really enjoy playing at the MCG on, uh, you know, under lights and in front of a big crowd. So I think that does work in our favour. But on to this week, mate, let's have a look at selection, shall we? Yeah, and I, I guess... Brad Scott's really stuck with the players that, that play in the Fremantle game. He hasn't made any rash uh, judgments on players and giving them opportunities. So uh, there's no official ins, actually. Jai Menzi comes into the 22 after starting a sub. Uh, Nick Bryan's omitted, but as we've seen over the past few weeks, there's been, you know, the Ruckland comes in as the late change. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens again. Uh, the emergencies for this week are Dylan Shield potentially, uh, back in um, Nick Cox, Nick Hind and, and Nick Bryan there is, is listed there as well. And I guess, as I said, my immediate thought is that we, we bring in that Ruckman, but um, you know, if that was to happen, hopefully this week it's for someone like a Snelling as opposed to a Menzi. You sort of pointed out Menzi showed a lot more creativity and he has that, that forward now that, that Guelphie and Snelling lack um, that, you know, gives us a lot more creativity and options for goal, I think. Um, but that's it. That maybe, as you you sort of pointed out with with Wiedemann, maybe it's the time that we run we've run ruck, and you know give Wright or Wiedemann um, to provide that chop out for for Phillips there. Yeah, I'd be going with one ruck this week, and we'll talk about that a little bit later um, and the reasons why. But it's hard to speculate as in terms of what we might do, given that we have made a, a late change to bring a ruckman in. I think the last four or five weeks, but. I probably would have liked to have seen Hind in for Kelly and, and give us a little bit of run and carry at half back, but you know maybe he's the one to take the subs vest this week and um, and you know hopefully you know really add some impotence when the game opens up a little bit late um, or, or Shield might be one that they ease back through um, uh, through the subs uh, bench as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad Menzies into the 22. I think you know we saw in the last quarter he kicked a goal. He, he put on that smart block for Parish to mark and goal in the last quarter as well. So he just had an impact straight away. And uh, you know I, I'd rather we got four quarters of that than just one. So uh, yeah, interesting to see how it plays out. But I also like that he's backed in the the bulk of the 22 from last week to say you know just it's a bit of a, a an old Kevin Sheedy trait rather than you know throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just back in the guys that that let us down a little bit to redeem themselves this week. Yeah. Well, Port Adelaide's changes, they've, they've brought back in Junior Rioli, who I expect to get a bit of a reception uh, from the Essendon fans this week. And, and Riley Bonner, uh, who was the sub last week, has come into their 22. Uh, Sin and, and Narkel have been admitted. Narkel obviously made his Port Adelaide debut uh, in their previous game after having been on the Essendon VFL list for the start of this year. Uh, their emergencies are Jonas, Narkel, uh, Vicentini and, and Burgoyne. Uh, any thoughts based on this? selection there anything stand out to you yeah i i expect rioli will get a bit of a reception from our fans it'll be interesting to see if he gets a reception from our players as well and and whether they they go to him they they didn't on on the the last time we played them but because it happened behind the ball it probably went a little bit unnoticed so it'll be interesting to see whether we yeah, we let him know all about that. But yeah, Vizantini's a 201 centimetre ruck forward. He was pick 56 in the 2021 draft and hasn't debuted yet. So you wouldn't think he fits the profile 
of a sub. Um, so I, I doubt it would be him. Tom Jonas, their captain, you know, he, I think this is the third week of the row. He's not been able to get back into the side. So again, I wouldn't expect him to be the sub. Knuckle didn't do a lot wrong and in fact did a lot right in his first game for Port after, you know, coming from our VFL side and being picked up in the mid-season draft. So you think, you know, him or, or Burgoyne would be the likely sub-choice, but, um, you know, Narkel's probably the obvious one there. And interesting to see Sin omitted. Uh, you know, he's only a young player in his second year and he's got a bright future, so um, certainly not knocking him. But he's the one that they bid up on draft night to get ahead of us and, and take thinking that we were going to take him, um, you know, just before the Hobbs pick. So it would have been nice to actually have seen him run around in, in the flesh at AFL level. But, uh, yeah, not to be. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Narkel's debut game and, and that came in round 14 uh, against Geelong where, where Port Adelaide 16-14-110 defeated Geelong 11-6-72. Um, it was a game where Geelong was up by 20 points halfway through the second quarter, but then Port Adelaide went on a, a seven-goal run in the third quarter and before finishing with the final four goals and, and they ran out a 38-point winner there. Um their victory really came through territory and clearance dominance. They won inside 50s by 16, center clearance by seven, and then, then stoppage by nine. And they also generated nine more marks inside 50, which is, sort of lines up with what we spoke about earlier in terms of the improvements that they've made since the last time we played them. And Port's tall forwards are very effective, Finlayson with four and, and Marshall with three. And then uh, it was there, probably some of their older heads, Houston with 31 and, and Wines with 28 as their possession leaders. Or, um, although Butters still had a big impact with, with eight clearances, whilst Drew also had eight. Yeah, I went back to have a, a look at our run sheet from our round eight preview uh, ahead of last time we played Port and, and we noted at the time that Dan Houston was a bit of a key and, and he's there, Nick Dacos, you know, setting up a lot of that drive for halfback, from halfback, sorry, I should say. Uh, we need, uh, yeah, we, we noted at the time that we needed to make sure he wasn't getting easy ball off the back of stoppages and through handball chains. He had 25 disposals against us that week and he's averaged 24.3 since then and got nine coaches votes in that game against Geelong. So, uh, yeah, he, he's been a, a real, you know, all the talk about, Butters and Rosie and, and their improvement and, and Jason Horn Francis and everything that they're doing. Dan Houston seems to be one who's gone a little bit unnoticed by by most, but he's a really, really important player and 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 he was really that driving force behind that um that run on that that uh, Port Adelaide got against Geelong. Mm. Well, I guess let's turn our attention to Saturday night and it's one of our biggest tests of the season and, and coming off a loss, you'd be expecting a response from the Bombers. Uh, what do you think is going to need to happen to, for Essendon to take the win this week? Yeah, I'd like to see us be really brave with our ball movement this week, risk mistakes, but uh, you know, if we can get the ball over halfway with speed on it, I think that's where we can make Port feel really vulnerable. Port defend their front half of the ground really well. They rank third in the AFL for mid-zone turnovers. And, you know, it's it's a hair's breadth uh, between, you know, them and, and St Kilda who are first. So, uh, or, yeah, St Kilda and Melbourne who are first and second. So, you know, they, they defend that front part of their ground as well as anyone else. They they score 30 points a game from forward half turnovers and another 17 points from forward half stoppages. So all indicators are that if we move the ball in the manner that we did against um, Fremantle or we just bomb and, and hope that we can sort of long kick our way out, I, I think the likelihood is that they're just going to get the game on their terms. It'll allow them to set up the ground and, and they'll force a, a mistake anyway. So... I think it's a game where we need to be a little bit more brave and, and take it on. And, and if we make a mistake, let's make one being aggressive and, and really trying to hurt the opposition. I think our wings will be 
really important in this. They're going to need to get back and, and help out in the air and, and cut down leading lanes for their forwards, but and, and also getting back quickly on turnover. So if we're going to be more aggressive, then we're probably going to run the risk of turning the ball over and they're going to need to help us set up. But I think they're also going to be a key part in our ability to to run and carry the ball out and use it. So this is where I find the the non-selection of Hyde interesting but and he would help in that. But I think Port don't have a lot of speed in their forward line. So, you know, Darcy Byrne-Jones has gone forward this year and, and he's not particularly fleet of foot uh McKenty, you know, he was drafted as an inside mid and his pace is actually all right, but he's not explosive. He's not what you typically expect of a, of a you know, small forward. I expect McGrath will take that Rioli matchup. And then what they do have is a lot of size. They have the three tools we mentioned earlier in Dixon, Marshall and Finlayson. Laverde, BZT and Ridley are obviously going to have their their hands full. And, and perhaps the thinking is that the ability of Kelly and Heppel in the air will help with, you know, the likes of Pal Pepper, who's near on 100 kilos, and um, and then also help to to protect their, our other key defenders against their key forwards. So it probably allows Redmond this week to, to be a little bit more offensive, given that there's no obvious matchup for him. So I think, um, yeah, between him and, and our wingers there and, and McGrath running off Rioli, they're going to be a key part of our ability to to get the ball and, and, and rebound 50 with some real carry and some real speed on the ball. Yeah, so obviously Fremantle seemed to put a lot of work into into Redmond last week. And, you know, I think if you remember back to that Phillips uh, miss kick in the first quarter, you, you really noticed the the Fremantle defender really trying to restrict Redmond's run and, and prevent him from getting that the handball off that the Phillips was probably looking for. And he, he ended up, you know, having that miss kick that led to a Freo goal. So I guess if he doesn't have a, a particular matchup and, and Port don't, put a lot of work into him. He's going to be a, a big key for us in, in getting that quick ball movement, as well as McGrath, obviously, as you say, w- without the selection of Hind there. And I guess if we do get that fast ball movement, there's another benefit to that as well, isn't there? There is, mate. Port have been using Trent McKenzie as a key defender and and he's, you know, only 190 centimetres. You know, I say only, it's still um, tall by normal measures, but for key defenders, it's not. And then even, you know, Miles Bergman spent a bit of time on on Hawkins in their game, you know, two weeks ago. So, yeah, both are strong bodies, but they don't have the height and reach to compete with someone like Peter Wright. So you'd think Alir Alir is going to need to go back on right this week. And and that puts him in in a position that he's not comfortable with. He'd rather be intercepting and play that second or third full defender. And, you know, these are the reasons why that it's been well publicized that Porter are chasing, you know, Ben Mackay, who we're, um, we just spoke about and, and also were, went really hard at Radagalia last year. So I think in, in right Wiedemann and Langford, as well as Stringer, we have four forwards who can really stretch Port and, but they're going to need fast ball movement. If we allow them to get numbers back and and crowd our forward 50, then, uh, you know, I, I think it, it's just playing into their hands. So if we can create create one-on-ones, then we give ourselves a lot more opportunity to to kick a winning score. And, and you mentioned that one part, the, the the one part of Port's game that, that has um, – sort of gone a little bit backwards is conceding marks inside 50. So, you know, there's an indicator there that if we can get enough fast ball movement and isolate our forwards that that they're going to be able to take some marks. And we saw that in the first quarter against them first time around. So, uh, yeah, I think that that fast ball movement off half back is, is really important. I think it's a, a big week for Archie Perkins too. I think that, you know, he, he's been playing that half forward role at, at 
verging on elite levels. He, I think he's a really underappreciated footballer at, at our club at the moment. Uh, that half forward role, I think this week's going to be really vital in providing that link up to half back and our key forwards. Our, our key backs are going to need to see someone in the corridor that they can kick to. And, and if he can get the ball two or three times in a quarter, you know, forward of the center in the corridor, then two things are going to happen. One or two things are going to happen. He's going to do some real damage against a port defense that will drop off him, trying to get coverage in the air for, you know, to try and help out a Lear or Peter Wright, or they're going to follow him up and it's going to create space for the likes of, um, uh, you know, Wiedemann, Langford and Stringer. So I think he, he sets a bit of a key to really set up the, the way that our back line links with our forward line this week. Yeah, so you've, you've touched on both ends of the ground there. And obviously the middle, we, we've spoken about the the strength that Port Adelaide has through through that midfield area. And what do we need to do there? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, instinctively you would say, we'll put a tagger on Butters and see whether you can take him out. But I, I suspect if you do that, then, you know, Rosie's going to get us or Horn Francis will or, you know, Houston coming off halfback and, and rotating through the midfield winds. Um, you know, Boke's still playing some good footy. So they've they've got real depth and, and numbers there. So I think we just need to take them on, uh, get some get that balance back in our midfield that we've had for, uh, you know, large parts of the year. Stringer playing a little bit defensive um, and, and probably using Perkins there a little bit more as well. Uh, but just um, just make them worry about us as much as we need to worry about them. So, you know, we've got some offensive weapons in our midfield too with with Zach Merritt, who's who's obviously playing outstanding football. Jake Stringer's playing really good footy as well. Martin on a wing, as we've talked about, can be really dangerous and, and Parrish is obviously one of the better contested midfielders in the comp. So, yeah, I think we just need to, uh, to find that balance between offense and defense without any direct, um, uh, you know, plans to try and stop any of their mids in particular, win win our share of the footy and, and you know, uh, and just really take the game on through run, carry and spread. So, uh, yeah, that that would be my approach this week. And and then I think one closing one, mate, I think we just need to have a plan this week to to break momentum. Port are a, a momentum team. Uh, we've seen that in, in a lot of their games when they get one, they get two, they get three, they get four. They they kick goals in in spurts. So I think we just need to have a plan, whether that's to to send Wiedemann back or send Langford back as a spare um, off the back of the wing um, to uh, to hold that momentum and just get some control in the game um, in, in in those periods where Port do get a little bit of a run on until we can get the game on our terms a little bit ourselves. Yeah. Well, look, it's. Our final thought time and, you know, over the past couple of weeks, this stat has grown bigger and, and bigger in, in prominence and it, it's a big thing for us this week given Port Adelaide are coming off the buy. So, Jono, how much do you believe in the buy curse? No, I don't really believe in it at all, mate. I think it's a little bit of a cop-out for, you know, perhaps the way teams have been prepared coming back off the buy. Um, I, you know, I, you know, I, I get it. You know, I take a week off work and I'm probably a little bit slow on the Monday and Tuesday to get back into things. But uh, you know, I think realistically, a lot of the matchups have probably just gone the way they would have anyway if it if it wasn't a bye week. Um, but you know, if there is one, I certainly hope it sticks around for another week. Yeah, I think every Essendon fan thinks the same there. With that last point there, well. Look, that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Thanks again for everyone for listening, commenting and and sharing the episodes. We really appreciate it. Uh, A reminder once again that you can support us on Patreon. You can find a link to our Patreon in the description and and see the benefits there. Any final words from you, Jono? 
No, not really for me, mate. Just looking forward to getting to the G on Saturday night and, um, yeah, cheering on the lads and, and hopefully we can get another win on the board. Yeah. Well, look, mate, thanks for all the work you do. Um, to everyone else, stay safe and go Dons.